Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch, and welcome to Novicast, the Chagas Cheap Podcast. Each episode will bring you insights, advice, and technical updates for the sheep industry. In this episode, we're going to discuss fluke control in sheep this autumn. I'm joined by Michael Gostin, head of sheep in Chagas, who's going to take us through it in a bit more detail. Michael starts off explaining what high-risk periods are for fluke infection. We move on to discuss the various control options, and Michael explains the differences between the various categories of flucoside that are available, and why they're not all suitable at particular stages of the year. As with other alternatives, resistance is an issue. We discuss this in a bit more detail, and Michael offers his views on how it could be potentially delayed on farms. We move on to discuss rumen fluke and what risk it poses on sheep farms, and we finish up with Michael summarising the key points to consider in relation to fluke control on farms for the coming weeks. We start off, however, with Michael describing how liver fluke affects sheep. Liver fluke is ingested by a ruminants or, or even non-ruminants, rabbits and horses in the past have been known to carry them as well. But in our case, I suppose it's going to be a sheep or, or a, a, a bovine, a bullock or a cow or a heifer or something like that. Goes into the liver, uh, migrates its way through the liver. That takes a long, long period of time, usually somewhere between 10 and 12, 13 weeks. Um, and then they mature into adults at that stage and they live in the bile ducts and the adult fluke actually don't do an awful lot of damage to the liver. It's while they're immature and burrowing through the liver that they do a lot of the liver damage. When they're adults, they just sit inside in the bile ducts, inside the liver and drink a little bit of blood um, every every day. They reckon up to half a mil of blood per adult liver fluke per day, um, which doesn't sound an awful lot, half a mil, but let's say if you had 500 of them inside there, um, the animal would be losing 250 millilitres of blood every day or a quarter of a litre. And that's why, you know, very often with the sheep that have chronic fluke, we see this bottle jaw appearance. The sheep look very, very unwell and jaundiced because they're losing a lot of blood every day. Uh, when the adults are inside in the, the bile ducts, they, they mate and lay eggs. And um, those little eggs then pass out um, in the faeces. And when they hit the ground, um, once the temperature is above 10 degrees centigrade, they um, hatch and the little larvae that emerge from the eggs, they swim up, uh, swim out and they try and find a mud snail. And um, once they find a mud snail, they haven't an awful lot of time to find that particular mud snail. And when they find a little mud snail, they burrow into the little mud snail. Oh, this snail is not a snail generally that you'd be able to see very easily with your eye. It's the sna- a snail that's about the size of a, 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 you know, a tip of a pinhead, you know, maybe a little bit bigger, but very, very hard to see with the naked eye. Um, you can see it, but not, not, it's not your typical snail that you'd see around in the garden. And these little uh, larvae, they go into the mud snail, basically, and they spend about six to eight weeks inside the mud snail. And they're really efficient little beggars because for everyone that goes into the mud snail, up to 600 can emerge like so they actually multiply and replicate again inside the the mud snail like it's an amazing parasite and they kill the mud snail in the process of of maturing inside it and then they migrate up onto the onto the grass and encrust on the grass and and wait there to be again so it's 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 a long process from the time we say a sheep eats eats a a larvae on the grass in the springtime say you know it goes out and and on the first of march and she takes a couple of mouthfuls of grass and there's these encrusted parasites there on the grass from last year. She she eat them. It'll take about 12 weeks for those to get mature. 
uh, lay eggs and start laying out the eggs. Then, you know, once the eggs start coming out, they find a mud snail. You're talking another six to eight weeks inside the mud snail. And then you have huge numbers of, of larvae coming on. I suppose the thing is, uh, here with our climates, we have mud snails carrying those infections coming over the winter, mild winters. Um, we have infection from the previous year on the grass. So it's, it's a constant, you know, kind of a thing uh, years ago. It's generally farms with the same pattern every year from that. It, it's more or less endemic once it starts on the farm. Absolutely. Look at it. It's a wet farm. You know, the snail is the key. So in dry weather, um, the snails don't do very well and the parasite is, is somewhat interrupted. On wet farms, you know, if we take kind of along the west coast and look, there's wet farms in every county. But, um, you know, the fluky areas that we say along the west coast on the heavier, wetter soils, um, you know, like the snails have a, have a great time there and you'd have lots of fluke and, and in those places people would be really treating for fluke all year round nearly. You know? But just that point you mentioned, it's probably something that's overlooked a little bit, Michael. They only need a certain habitat on the farm to be present. Certainly we know the higher risk western seaboard, but any wet habitat on the farm can potentially maintain fluke. Absolutely, Kieran, and we've seen that in, in particular wet years, you know, actually we see, see problems on farms that might never have had issues with fluke, you know, and in a wet year, they, they all of a sudden they get nobbled, you know, they've bought in a few animals that have fluke eggs inside them, or there is a small number of, of wet patches on the farm where the snails and fluke have been working away, but it hasn't caused a problem, and then along comes a wet year like 2012 or, or, or 2017, and all of a sudden, um, you know, the snails really get going and, and so does the parasite. And all of a sudden you have a lot of fluke infection on a farm where maybe people might be used to treating for liver fluke and they get cut out. Um, you know, they, they end up starting to lose stock because either they don't go in in time with the treatment, they don't recognize the symptoms, you know, or sometimes they go in with the wrong product. Um, you know, and so look, at I think uh, this year has been, okay, the East Coast, we had a bit of a drought there in kind of late May, June, but it's been pretty wet. Um, for most of the country and I think the, the little mud snails have been doing great business um, because they've had lots of water, moisture and no prolonged dry spells so I think you know the, the, there'll be a share of fluke around now this year like you know, on the light farms. It's potentially a risk. You covered this in part Michael already but it's probably no harm when we're talking about assessing risk to maybe understand the fluke itself. In terms of either chronic infection, which you covered, that's the long-term effects of it, or an acute infection, maybe just to recap on them and how that is important when we talk about how we need to treat these animals. Yeah, so generally, look at if the sheep or cattle, um, in our case, I suppose sheep are getting a small numbers of, of fluke migrating through the liver, they can, they can deal with that quite well. Um, if, if they get big numbers, greater than 500, uh, immature fluke trying to migrate through the liver. You can get, um, you know, ruptured liver, liver failure, you know, spontaneous death, sudden death in the animals. Um, you know, anything kind of, you know, from 500 maybe, or sometimes we see even 1,000 or maybe even over 1,000 of these guys migrating through the liver. And, and at that stage, very often you could have lambs that are fit to kill, look perfectly healthy. They're not jaundiced because at this stage the little larvae are kind of are drinking a lot of blood, they're actually it's liver damage that they're doing as they're munching their way through the liver, migrating up through it and um, maturing in the process. So in that situation, what often happens is that, you know, a farmer brings in a batch of lambs, maybe to dose them 
or to bring them, select lambs for the factory or something, and um, either some lambs drop dead on the way in uh, when they're being run in by the dog, or you know a day or two later there's dead lambs in the field um, from the stress related to the the, 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 the treatment, you know. And that, that's the that's the difficult one because at that stage you you don't have any any fluke eggs showing up. You have no mature fluke. It's it's something we really see in lambs more so than in adult animals. And um, you know the losses can be quite 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 you know it's expensive because very lot often these are lambs that are quite good quite late in life. You know they're 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 in the finishing stages. You know and and they're quite valuable. Um, in terms of being close to slaughter, so I mean that's what we're trying to do in that situation is 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 get a handle on what's the infection and 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 the only way really to do that at that stage, based on kind of a history of the farm and knowing your weather periods if you've had a lot of of, of wet weather, um, is to get a handle from your slaughterhouse. So if you're sending lambs to the butcher or sending lambs to the factory, you know try hard to find out to see is there signs of active fluke in the livers and if there's sign of active fluke in the livers of your lambs then it's time you know really to go in and start treating with something that is effective against those immature flukes before they, they do any any harm or damage you know the older uh, more chronic fluke that i spoke about um here and like that that damage is is you know once those animals are treated they generally recover quite well uh, it's the it's the damage from the acute fluke where you have liver damage. Very often, even the animals that are very badly affected um, may never recover fully because the damage to the liver can be huge. It's probably no harm to clarify too at that point. Like that you're not going to pick up evidence of immature fluke in faecal egg samples at this stage of the year. This is the, yeah. This is the problem. You see, I, I mean, with worms, it's very easy. We tell people to take a dung sample. Um, you know, worms start laying eggs after about 18, 19 days. Um, so once they pick up worm larvae off the grass, we start seeing evidence of that after 18 or 19 days. And we can tell people when to dose. Uh, with the liver fluke, it's not that simple because we're picking it up. We have to wait 12 weeks before we see any egg coming, 10 to 12 weeks before we see any eggs coming out in the in the feces. And then the eggs come out sporadically. They don't come out. Um, you know, you could take a tongue sample and you might see eggs and you could come back three or four days later. And you might see eggs depending on the level of infestation in this in this in the liver. So um, it's a little bit more difficult. So what we need to look at is, I suppose, the history, uh, how wet it has been, uh, have we sent lambs or yours to the factory or to the butcher? Can we get a, a feedback from the factory or the butcher? as to what the livers are. That's going to take a bit of planning, maybe a phone call before the lambs go up, um, especially if they're traveling a long distance. Anyone from the south of the country might be going up to Kildare or, or Wexford or Navin or Ballyhawness or somewhere like that, you know, make a phone call beforehand, um, you know, and a phone call afterwards to follow up to see was there any sign of infection. You can do um, a dung sample, of course, in the adult yews, um that they've been grazing all year and see what's happening there, and that's a good indicator. Um, and you can also do a blood test. Uh, now, the blood test is really only useful in sheep that are naive and come onto farm where there is, once they've been infected, you'll have those, uh, that, that, that uh, blood uh, trigger will, will trigger. It doesn't tell you whether they're currently infected or whether it's active or old infection that you're picking up, old infection that may have, have been treated and killed at this stage. Like, the, the copper, um, but, but the factory is probably the best option at the moment when there's still a few colios or lambs going to it. 
if they can follow up on post-mortem? Gold, gold standard is the factory. Um, second next best is a dung sample from the O's. See what's happening there. Um, and then look at after that. They're, they're, now, the Department of Agriculture do bring out a fluke forecast. It usually comes out in November. Um, and, and it's not out yet this year. Uh, and it kind of gives a forecast for people kind of in the various different geographic regions based on, I suppose, the the weather data and the history and prevalence and what they're seeing also in the factories and the labs and stuff like that coming in. Okay, So but not out yet. Look at it. And for some people, I suppose, um, we're seeing some dung samples coming back there on some of the better farms. Um, uh, the Chagas Better Sheep Farm program participants and we're seeing flu cakes showing up even in some of the lambs at this stage like you know so, so that means that the lambs have been infected you know three months ago like they're from the western end of it particularly but um, in terms of treatment options look as you indicated already it is a higher risk year it's been wetter for more prolonged periods of it it's something that needs to be on the radar for treatment there are a lot of different products out there and we know there's a couple of different categories of flucoside available. What options do farmers have and which one of them should they offer at this stage of the season? Yeah, so look, at I, I think, Kieran, a lot of the times when we come across a farmer that runs into trouble with fluke and loses a lot of sheep, it, it, very often it's not the case that the farmer didn't treat the sheep. Very often it's the case that the farmer treated the sheep with the wrong product. Um, so, as we said before, we have immature fluke and we have adult fluke. And realistically, I suppose they're categorized into three categories. There's early, mature, immature, and adult. Um, and there are lots of products out there for treating fluke. Lots of different products. And some of the products kill immature fluke and adult fluke. And some of the products kill early immature fluke, immature fluke, and adults, and some of the products only kill adults. And invariably where we see a problem arising is where a farmer has fluke, knows he has fluke, and at this time of the year goes in with a product maybe that will only kill the adult fluke. And basically what the farmer is doing is killing fluke that the sheep picked up three months ago but killing nothing that was picked up in the last three months because the adult fluke are kind of those that are over 12 weeks of age. And what happens then is there's an awful lot of these immature lads making their way through the liver and the drug doesn't kill them. Um, and then they run into trouble. You know, they wait two months or three months before they go in with the next treatment and at that stage the sheep are dying um, because they didn't touch any of the ones that were immature and were doing the damage to the liver. So really, at this time of the year, if you're going treating for fluke because sheep are actively picking up fluke and have been actively picking up fluke for the last couple of months, you need to treat with a product that is, is effective against immature fluke. Immature fluke, and that's the important one. So there's lots of products out there that will kill adult, they'll all kill adult fluke. But the ones you want to avoid at this time of the year is the ones that only kill adults. Okay, and those tend to be the ones in the albendazole class, uh, in the oxyclazamide class. Um, so they're they're generally um, your products like Albex, Endospec, um, Kilogain, um, Valvazin when it was around, um, your Levofast Diamond, 
uh, and your Xanil, those type of products, very effective against adult flu. You know, have a big role to play in flu control, particularly if you were housing sheep, you know, maybe for two or three months and then letting them out and you wanted to clean them out. You know, a good a good flucicide at that stage to clean out yours uh, and to make sure that they weren't uh, didn't have active fluke inside their livers that were going to lay eggs and contaminate the pasture. But this time of the year, um, they wouldn't be the product of choice simply because they're leaving too much of what the sheep have picked up after them, um, not not killing them because they're not effective against the adult um, fluke. Or, or sorry, against the immature fluke. They're, they're only effective against the adult fluke. So really, anyone going out treating sheep at the moment should be looking for a product that is effective against immature fluke. So those are products in the classes triclobendazole. Now there is a bit of resistance to that particular product, especially up along the West Coast. Uh, so you'd want to be sure that that's working on your farm if you're going to rely on that. Um, Tazantil uh, is another one of the active ingredients which is effective against immature fluke. Um, Rifoxanoid and nitroxanol. Um, so those are kind of the four products or categories of, of, of families of flucicides out there that will kill immature fluke. And when you're going into your co-op or your vet or whoever you're buying your product off, just ask them for a product that is effective against immature fluke. That's the important thing really that we want at this time of the year. Later on, after the sheep have been housed or during a cold spell, I've been out for a really cold spell, where, where, you know, the, the, the warmer, uh, the, the uh, mud snail isn't active, you don't have active infection on the pasture, we can use those other products that are effective against uh, mature flu. And look, there will be some difference even within them categories, the four categories are suitable at this stage of the year, but at minimum to look at them and then maybe start looking at options in them. But Michael, I just want to put you back over another point there. You mentioned there is some resistance to triclobendazole products and we know of some reports of potential resistance to other categories. Look, we, we've talked at length previously about warmer resistance. How big of an issue is fluke resistance and maybe is there anything we can do to delay it or the onset of one of the farms? Yeah, and look, at I think, um, you know, the, the, we'd say the triclobendazole resistance has been there for a long time. Now at this stage, I suppose, 20 years or more even, I suppose, Kieran, since it was first kind of flagged. And triclobendazole was one of the kind of early flucicides, and it was really, really effective. It's effective against all stages of fluke, even the very, very early ones. You know, so it was a super product, and, and farmers used it a lot, and I suppose it, it saved a lot of yours uh, over the years. But I suppose the problem was because it was being used the whole time, and it was being used maybe both in cattle and sheep on the farm. All the fluke that were basically surviving the treatment were, were the ones that were, were resistant. And if they were constantly selecting for those every time you treat it. So we know that from wormers as well. If you, if you keep using the same wormer again and again and again and again, you're selecting for resistance to that product. Um, because the only worms that survive will be those that are resistant. So you're giving them an advantage over the other worms. And eventually they'll mate with each other and produce lots of resistant offspring. And the same with the flu. So we want to avoid that. Um, so every time we treat with a flucicide, we're, we're selecting for a, the resistant flu population on the farm. We're giving those flu um, an advantage. So the first thing is, I suppose, to reduce the amount of, of dosing, unnecessary dosing that you need to do. So, you know, maybe using 
the kind of information from the the uh, the fecal egg counts and the yolks, using information from the, the the abattoirs in terms of your lambs or your colios to make the decision when you need to dose. Um, using the right product, okay. So we're not using a product that isn't going to be effective, um, but selecting for resistance to that product is very important. So that's this time of year, selecting a product that's effective against the immatures, and then switching the product. Um, you know, so doing a little bit of, of, of you know, we'll use this product maybe this year, we'll use a different class next year, different class the year after, and at least we're not constantly select using the same product until it's broken. And if you look at, if we're in doubt, maybe as well, checking to see are the problems working. If you're a heavy user of flucocytes on your farm because you have a very wet farm and a lot of challenge and you find that you're treating sheep four or five times a year, um, you know, maybe check uh, the products. So what we do there is we take a dung sample um, from 10 to 15 years. Um, we see do they have fluke eggs. Um, and then we treat them uh, with a flucoside and come back three weeks later and five weeks later from the same bunch of yours um, and take a dung sample again and just to see are the eggs gone. And, um, you know, if we still have eggs, then you know, we can suspect that maybe that product mightn't be working 100% on the farm and we should be switching to another another product uh, so, that's going to be more effective. Like. So, like, in essence, look, a lot of the good practice in ensuring technique and calibration and all that's right is important and rotating the products. Just maybe in the two of them, Michael, two of the more popular ones maybe for immature fluke were Froxanate products and Clisantra products. They're similar enough. Perhaps maybe they're not the two most suitable at all to in a heavy usage farm within a year, are they? Yeah, so look at, I mean, um, we'd say uh, Clazantil is marketed under the name of, of Fluke Iver, uh, Clazimectin, it's combined with a warmer in that situation, uh, Duotech again combined with a warmer, um, Superworm would be combined with a warmer, um, or Salantil, um on its own. So so they're kind of, the, that's that's, they're all in that group of, of clazantil type products. Um, the rafoxanides then are the ones that we see the, the likes of Renide, uh, Ridafluke, and it's also in some of the multi doses like um, uh, Univet multi dose and a few other products like that. They're really from the same family, um, even though they're different. They have different active ingredients. One of them is, is rafoxanide, and one of them is is clazantil. Uh, they're very closely related. So. Um, what you might do is break it with a different product in between. So if you decide I'm going with a clazantil based product this year, 2020, and then next year I'll go with a nitroxanide-based product, and the following year then I'll go with a, uh, a rifoxanide-based product, and the following year I'll, I'll go with triclobendazole, you know, and I'll use my, my oxyclazonide or my albendazole for my adult flu control um, at a different time, at a time when that's appropriate, like. So it's just about having a plan, really, um, talking to your vet or your advisor about your situation and basically having a plan and not just using the product because that's what they had in the vet uh, or the co-op store or that's what was on special offer or that's what you had left in a drum when you went up uh, to the medicine cabinet. You know, having a plan... Um, you may go to, you may decide, uh, you know, farmer may decide that he's going to go with triclobendazole, goes to the vet or the co-op shop, wherever he buys his, his, his products, and they don't have it. 
you know, and then, you know, but I have the O's in and I want to dose them, um, ends up using a product that isn't suitable. So it's a little bit of planning, um, making that decision, say, this year I'm going to go with, be it triclobendazole or a placenta type product, and then, you know, ordering that in to make sure that you have, have, um, have it in stock when you need it, um, having the right amount of it so that you don't buy, you know, a huge quantity of it and end up having enough to do two years because we want to try to avoid using it for the two years. Um, we want to try to avoid wasting it and using it when we don't need it. You know, the, 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 maybe the, the, you might be kind of inclined to use something because it's there and it's going out of date when maybe really you don't need to use it. So having the right product, having a plan in place really is what we want. So we want a little parasite control plan for liver fluke on these farms. What are we going to do to identify when we need to dose? What products are we going to use? And what are we going to change to? Um, and it's very easy to do that, really. It's, it's not a, a difficult task for people. It just takes a little bit of planning. Have it written on a card, stuck up somewhere in your farm office or in your medicine cabinet. Um, this year, 2021 uh, or 2020, we're going with trichlor 2021, we're moving to 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 um, placental-based product. Uh, 2022, we're going to go to a nitroxanol-based product. It's written there, very simple. Follow it, um, and that will protect your flock for years and years to come. And, and adapt it depending on the circumstance, if it's more risk or not. Michael, just like one other aspect with fluke comes up, and perhaps more we'll get more queries on it this year as a result of people submitting faecal samples from cattle, is the whole issue of rumen fluke. Um, and look, there's, there's farms out there, mixed farms out there, getting back in samples from cattle, and they're wondering, do they need to treat sheep for it? Maybe you'll just tease that one out a little bit more for me. How big of an issue is it on sheep farms? Yeah, yeah. So we've been listening, hearing about rumen fluke now for about 10 years, I think, um, and, you know, when you stand up at a meeting and you say that rumen fluke isn't an issue on sheep farms, uh, you're almost guaranteed um, in the west of Ireland anyway, and, and down here in the southwest, uh, to get somebody to stand up and say, well, I lost 30 or 40 sheep with it, you know, five or six or seven years ago. So I, what, I, what I'd be saying is um, I'd be slow to say it's not an issue on sheep farms, but I'd be very strong in saying it's not an issue on most sheep farms. And, and I, I think that's really um, what it's about. And I've seen it on a couple of our farms. We've even had it on some of the better farms. And it was always the cattle that showed it up first. It was ne we never yet saw an issue in sheep. Uh, generally, the sheep are pretty, pretty um, resilient to it. Now, having said that, there are farmers out there that have lost sheep with it, um, so it, it's not it's not a given that you know it never affects them. But generally, on most farms where we see an issue with rumen fluke, it's where we see profuse scouring and poor performance in cattle having been treated with with for a flucoside, an ordinary flucoside at housing time. So, you house your your cattle. Usually, it's the younger cattle, weanlings, yearlings. Um, give them their 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 fluke dose, and um, they do very badly. Uh, you know, they're they're scouring a lot. You take a dump sample, there's room of fluke. And in in those situations, if there's sheep on the farm, when you take a sample from the sheep, you can see that there's there there's a lot of room of fluke showing up in that. Generally, the sheep don't tend to show it to you the same way as cattle do. So what I would say is, uh, when you take a dump sample uh, in fluky type areas and you get them to, to look at the difference between rumen and um, liver flu. 
very often you'll get a positive result for rumen fluke. But by and large, I would say that the rumen fluke um, do not do a lot of damage. And the reason why the rumen fluke don't do damage, Kieran, is because they don't really live off any part of the sheep. The rumen fluke live off the bugs in the stomach of the sheep. They feed on the protozoa and the bugs that are in the rumen. The only time that the rumen fluke do damage is when they're migrating, the immature fluke are, are migrating to the stomach. And if you get huge numbers at that stage, um, you can get uh, sheep that become ill. Um, but that is, that is a rare enough um, a rare enough occurrence. So what we would be saying to people is, unless you have clinical signs of disease, um, you wouldn't be going in treating for rheumatoid. Uh, just like the other key issue there is, there is only one category of doxycosinides that are available to treat them. So again, regular treatment would easily develop resistance and that end very quickly in a couple of years. Absolutely, and that's, and that's the reason why we're not recommending that you treat unless you have clinical signs, because we only have one product for it. You know, we have five or six different products for liver flu. We have one product, oxyclosinide, which is, is you know, and look, at, to be honest with you, it, it probably wouldn't get a license for um, rheumatoid flu because it's not, it's, it won't kill 95% of them. Um, you know, so... Realistically speaking, we have that product. If that product stops working on your farm because you, you use it continuously um, and you end up in the unfortunate situation where you have a bad infection of rumen flu and it's doing harm um, you know, and making sheep and cattle sick and you've overused this product, you, you have nothing left. There's no plan B or alternative product available on the market to control it. And for that reason, we're saying to people, you know, be very, very careful when you're using oxyclozonide, which is the active ingredient in things like levofestine and, and xandal, um, because that is an important drug um, to keep in case you need it. And don't over be, overuse that product and, and break it on your farm, because if if the rumen fluke comes back at some stage in a couple of years' time, and it's really bad on your farm, um, and you've developed resistance to azeclazonide, there's an alternative product available on the Irish market um, to treat it like, okay? Michael, so it's, it's important. Michael, you've covered quite a lot for us there in, in a short time. But just maybe to summarize and finish up, um, what are the couple of key things producers need to look out for now over the next couple of weeks in terms of fluke control? Yeah, okay, look, I think we've talked for a good bit here now, Kieran, and I mean, three or four take-home messages, right? Simple things, right? So first of all, find out whether you have fluke and you need it. You need to treat it all, okay? So that's talk to the factory or the butcher or you go in there, take a few long samples from yours, right? Every farmer, no matter whether he's store lambs or finishing, will have a couple of yours. Send a couple of yours to the factory, see what's going on there. Get results um, and then make, make your plan based on that. Talk to your vet or your advisor if you're not sure about what kind of a product rotation plan you should have. But come up with a plan for the next three or four years, what products you're going to use in what rotation. And if you're worried about resistance to particular products, do a, do a drench test to see whether that's happening. Again, talk to your vet or your advisor on that, and they, they, they'll give you a, a thing. If you're dosing this time of the year, Kieran, when fluke is active and sheep are actively picking up infection from the pasture, 
use a product that's effective against early against immature flu. Not early immature, immature flu, because there's only one product out there that'll do the earliest first. So needs to be effective against immature flu. Um, and that, that's very, very important. And then lastly, look, forget about the rumen fluke unless you're seeing clinical signs. And generally on farms where you have cattle, it is, it is the cattle that will show you those signs much more so than the sheep. And, you know, on, on sheep farms, it's rare. It does occur. Um, and if you have clinical signs, it'll be a lot of those uh, rumen fluke migrating uh, to the rumen. Once they're mature fluke in the rumen, they do nothing to the, they do no harm at all to the sheep because they're not living off any part of the sheep. They're living off the bulks in the summer. They're eating the bulks. Michael, as always, thanks very much. You're welcome, Karen. Okay, we're going to finish up at this point. Again, Michael covered the topic in a lot of detail. If we take a couple of key points or relevance, you know, understanding the pattern of fluke on your farm, getting feedback from the laboratory or potentially fecal egg samples at this stage of year is useful. So it is. In planning a strategy or a plan for a couple of years, it's something worth discussing in more detail with your vet or your advisor on your farm. And it's something you need to think about and implement, particularly when we're talking about purchasing products to control fluke at this stage of the year. Choosing the correct product is important. There is more detail available on the sheep section of the Chagas website on fluke, the various aspects of control. And again, the booklet we put up previously outlining the various control products is easily found on that site. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for any updates on the Sheep Program, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chaga Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in to more episodes.